everybody. Welcome back to Moms After Bedtime. I'm Mandy, and I'm here with Megan Brooke and our special guest today, Kristen Gingrich. Hey! Hi! And this is our golden episode. We're at episode 50. Crazy. Golden Girls. Which one is... Oh, God. Do we really want to play that game? (laughs) I've never... I have to fess up. I've never seen an episode. (gasps) Really? (laughs) Aw. You would like it. I know who they are, but... (laughs) I'm definitely B. Arthur, I think. Definitely Dorothy. Didn't you tell me I was her before? Yeah, that was mean, though. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, well... Yeah, she's funny though. Yeah. She's definitely the funniest one, but she's also rude. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> so, um, but for this episode, we have Kristen with us, and Kristen is a licensed clinical social worker and a certified alcohol drug, alcohol and drug counselor. She also has a Instagram account. Not your average therapist, right? Not your average therapist. She has over sixty thousand followers, and she's a fellow Mainer. Yay! Super exciting. Um, although not born and raised in Maine, but that's okay. We'll still accept you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but before we jump into talking all about that mental health piece of things, we'll start with our wine and cheese. So Megan is polishing her glasses with her breath. So would you like to go What's first? What's the oldest one of the Golden Girls? You're Sophia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does that leave me with? I need to research this after. You're not a Blanche. Um, you're definitely not a Blanche. You're not a Rose. You're not a Rose either. I'm just not a golden girl. All right. No. Yeah. I don't belong. It's fine. No, sorry. Sorry. I'll be my own person. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, my wine and cheese this week, I'm just going to combine them into one thing because at first it was wine and then it became cheese. <laughs> oh, actually, small sprinkle cheese. Uh, Eliza turned six yes, months old this yes. week, which is Aww. crazy. Aww. Yeah, it's... Just crazy to think that she's been around for that long. But, <laughs> um, so, uh, probably like two years ago, I wanted to, my main driving factor was to get in shape for my wedding. And so to do that, I went to a strength training gym here in Bangor, um, called Relentless Strength Training. And so I just kind of like fell in love with it. It's not like your average gym. And I don't really know what CrossFit is because I've never tried it. So I don't know if it's similar or not. Um, but it's like pretty hardcore strength training where you're doing like deadlifting and pulling tires everywhere and like fun stuff like that. Like get to, you get to like throw balls on the floor and whatever. Fun stuff. We have different say, ideas of fun. fun. <laughs> we get to pull tires. <laughs> Super fun. Uh, I was gonna, for those people who uh, are those listeners who like, uh, Mystic Michaela and all the aura stuff. There's, I was there today and I was like, there's a lot of red energy here. (laughs) (laughs) But in a nice way, like it's very, like they're very welcoming. Um, And so what they really do is like make an individualized program for you. So they can kind of look at like, oh, my knee, my having a C-section, all that kind of stuff and kind of help me. Whereas like if I had just gone to like Planet Fitness I would just walk in there, go on the elliptical, and go home and never go back. <laughs> so, like, I need something like this to kind of, like, motivate me. And so, I went last Thursday for the first time. I was super, super nervous because I pretty much haven't moved my body since my knee surgery, which was, uh, like, March of last year. Because then, like, COVID, baby, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, I was like, I don't know how much I'm going to do, be able to do. So I did the warm up and I felt like I was going to die. And then they do like a fitness test to get like your baseline. <laughs> and I did two rounds of the fitness test and I was like, I have to go to the bathroom because I thought I was going to puke. And so, <laughs> and they were like, I think we're done for the day. And I'm like, I just left and I like came home and cried because I was like, I can't do this anymore. I used to love it so much. Like I was so embarrassed. Like I was just so embarrassed. Um, which I, I shouldn't have been because I, like, actually went and did the thing. I don't have to look mm-hmm. perfect, but I felt like I had to. But the cheese of it is that I went back on Tuesday with kind of, like, my tail between my legs. Like, all right, I'm embarrassed, but I'm going to go back and do it. And I came home crying again, but this time it was because 
oof, I'm gonna get like emotional talking about this, but I was like, I I haven't felt this good in so long. Mm. It wasn't as like intense because it wasn't like a fitness test. It was like modified for me or whatever. But yeah, so I have gone twice this week and I just really like it. I don't know. I just I am always like I don't have any hobbies and I don't whatever. But it really is. Even though it's like working out, I just feel like it's my thing. Like, I just love it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm so excited to be able to, to, like, deadlift again and to, um, you know, pull the tires and throw the chains and whatever. Actually, my therapist was like, I think it's a good idea for you to go back because I was, like, toying around with the idea because she was like, just what I know about you, if we're in, like, a fight, flight, or freeze situation, there's no doubt you are fight 100%. And so <laughs> she's like, your anxiety needs an outlet like that and she's like that's probably why you you think you're so angry but really it's if you do something like that you're getting out the fight the adrenaline yeah. and stuff so yeah. I don't, it just felt it feels really good to be back and i just really love the people that work there um the owner is just like one of the nicest guys who is so supportive like no matter what no matter if you puke no matter if you <laughs> <laughs> whatever so um yeah i'm just really glad to be back so that's my cheese awesome even though it felt kind of whiny at first, but. <laughs> Good for you. That's I need to do the same. I'm Are not. you sore? I used to love that sore feeling, like, when you first start working out. Yeah, it was the first day, and I definitely think I am going to be now. My hips are so stiff, so we're just kind of working on that. Yeah, it feels good. Good. Brooke? I'm also getting a workout in. My cheese is that, um, like, last minute I was like, just yesterday was like, I should sign Shay up for something this summer since I have way more time. So I like Googled a nearby gym, well, like a gymnasium, like gymnastics gym. And they literally had a class that started today. The first class was today. So I signed her up last night and we went today and I didn't have to do a fitness test. I had to do a toddler and chasing baby <laughs> gymnastics class well it was like the mommy like the one parent and the and the toddler or whatever and like i was sweating and i was like oh my god this is so embarrassing that's pretty much a fitness test (laughs) seriously but she did so good she only cried once which was you know to be expected and uh, i think she like really liked it and when we were leaving she was like bye gymnastics and um yeah i'm excited to go back so that's my Jesus. Oh. Kind of. I was also thinking, like, oh, this might be good for me to get some exercise in here and there. You, like, join the class? <laughs> They're, like, telling the kids <laughs> what to do. Like, Brooke's, like, up on the beam. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you have, it's, like, the mom and the kid have to do yeah. it together anyway. Or the, it doesn't have to be the mom, the parent, the adult. Um, so I pretty much did do a lot of it. And, like, I even got into, like, the foam pit thingy. And I was like, oh, my God, how do people move through <laughs> <laughs> And the gym, the coach was, like, staring at me. Like, are you going to be okay? <laughs> Save me. I'm drowning in the pit. And you just watch kids get through it so easily. Like, and you're like, how? <laughs> oh, yeah. Shay didn't even sweat. She was just, like, <laughs> running, doing her thing and was totally fine. Yep. <laughs> um, but my wine, and this is what I was worried about, and this was only one thing that she cried about, is that Shay is, like, really possessive with everything. And Kristen, I don't know, I have a two-year-old, um, mm-hmm. and she is in that phase of, like, everything is hers. Literally everything. She had a meltdown the other night because the dog was sitting on our couch, <laughs> which we have a huge, <laughs> like sectional it's huge with like a huge lounge and everything and the dog was laying on the couch and she was like my couch my (laughs) couch and this actually is a sprinkled cheese is um my husband's father passed away a few years ago and um we just got his jeep his old jeep so that's exciting for the summer to like drive around in the jeep but we brought it shane brought it home and shay was like my car. She's like, <laughs> nope, this is our family car. <laughs> and then she cried again. But so she's just like in that really. I know it's like developmentally normal, uh, but it's kind of like, how do I explain this to you? Like, this not everything is yours. Okay, <laughs> doesn't help that you're, you know she's an only child. 
she doesn't have to share much, but it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's a cognitive piece. Yeah. It's the cognitive piece is just how um, you are mom. There's no way that your sister or daughter or aunt, it's you know your mom. Yeah. And so it's the same. It's the same way with everything else. Yeah. Jeez. And I was telling that to the CDS worker. She had like a shocked look on her face like, what? Shay is doing this to you? Because <laughs> she's like one of the well-behaved kids at daycare. So just <laughs> surprising. Um, but we'll get through it. And, and at, at gymnastics, there was like another girl going through the tunnel. And Shay was like, the tunnel. I was like, oh, it's not yours. You have to let other kids take turns. <laughs> but that's the only thing. So that was good. Poor Shay. Life lessons. And we're over here having, having to quit gymnastics a couple months ago because Isla was uh, a psychopath. So. She's, almost, <laughs> she's almost two and a half. That was way different. Isla was so little. I know. I, we're waiting to get, to get back into it. We'll see. <laughs> Do you have a wine and cheese, Kristen? Yeah, sure. Um, my wine is that... So I drive an hour to work. Um, so from where I live in Maine to where I work is an hour. Um, and I, every day, both ways, I get so pissed off because nobody in this state, and I know that is overgeneralization, but nobody knows how to do a four-way stop correctly. (laughs) And it pisses me off every single day when I'm at this, it's in Standish and it's this four, it's where it's like the main intersection where you come up from like Wyndham from Westbrook and Gorham and it all comes into like this little corner. I don't even know what it's called. When you arrive in that circle, if there are people <laughs> in a circle, it's, it's not, we don't play guess who came first and it just, every day, this is me off. And, and, I, and I, one day I'm just gonna, I don't know, every day I'm screaming through that intersection. You just gotta get like a reflective vest and one day you just jump get out, out of the there car and just start like <laughs> directing <the> traffic. traffic. <laughs> you gonna learn today. God, I literally like sometimes like because then I look like the ass because like I'm waiting for my turn in the circle and like someone across from me is going and I'm like, why, why are you going? It's not your turn. Like it's it's great. Um, and then my cheese is that. Uh, my favorite taco place is opening up a location in Wyndham. And so your girl is getting tacos. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind sharing what the place is? It's called Luchador Taco. So they have a location in um, South Paris and one in North Conway. Um, and they're oh. so good. Oh. So good. Um, they're opening up tomorrow. So I'm going to go with my husband and my son and my sister-in-law. And we're going to go with one joint. Well, me and my husband are. My kid won't eat a taco, but um, we will We will, We will. will go and eat tacos when he eats peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> so, and it's not because we don't give him tacos. It's he only eats like five select foods. Get that. So. Typical. Shay's food of this week is um, cheese balls because mm. I bought cheese balls and she saw them on the counter and instantly was like, cheese balls and that's the only way i could get her to eat any dinner tonight was by putting some cheese balls on her plate <laughs> do what you gotta do yep. <laughs> i like cheese balls yeah right <laughs> so good nothing wrong with that i would have had the same reaction if they were on my counter but <laughs> <laughs> my cheese balls <laughs> um so my wine and cheese is pretty much i feel like it's the same as last week but the saga continues my cheese, at least, is that today is mine and Phil's actual anniversary. So I talked about we went and celebrated and went and got a little hotel in York um, a couple weeks ago now, just in case. I was very hopeful. I was very optimistic that maybe there would be like a baby out of my body by now, um, but there isn't. So, but uh, today was the actual day. So we didn't really do anything crazy, but four years married and... Yeah, um, he hasn't left me up. So <laughs> we're on a good, we're on a good streak here. Things are good. But my wine is just a continuation of this whole ultrasound baby whatever mm. fiasco. So today 
was my follow-up ultrasound. Oh, yeah. So I was I, convinced that you weren't going to need it. I didn't think you would <laughs> have just I gonna, you were going to have the baby by now. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm sure everyone is so sick of listening to me talk about having this freaking baby. But I was so convinced. And, I mean, it's not over yet. But I have been convinced for, like, way before we got to this point. Like, when I realized that today was, like, a, a full moon a week before my due date. I'm like, that's the day I'm going to give birth. Like, I have been convinced that tonight is the night that I was going to go into labor for, like, weeks now. There's still so, a little time. Yeah, still that's what I'm saying. I could happen overnight. That's what happened with Isla. It was overnight on full moon, Friday the 13th. Yeah. I mean, that's not today. It's not Friday the 13th. But it's still a full moon overnight. Like, it could happen. Anyway, so I've had it in my head that, like, tonight was the night for, like, a really long time. So I'm like, ah, I don't even know if I'll make it to an appointment. Like, maybe I'll go into labor that day. But um, I made it to the appointment. So anyways, it's at that office that I don't normally go to. So it's all just mm-hmm. a bunch of strange people. And oh. they're just so weird there. Maybe I just have this preconceived, like, I don't like you already because you're not my people. But they're just so weird. But anyways, I get in to go to the ultrasound. I walk in. I lay down. The second I lay down, I am... Like, I just feel really sick. Like, I feel really winded, which is not, like, unusual for me lately. So I'm like, okay, I'm just, like, you know, nine months pregnant. But then I start feeling really nauseous, like I'm going to puke. And then she's going through all the stuff, like, and showing me everything. And then she finally gets, like, all the measurements she needs. And she starts to show me her face and tries to be, like, all cute. Like, look at her sucking her thumb. And I'm, like, almost, like, blacked out at this point. I was like, I'm sorry, Uh but I am so lightheaded. Like, I'm going to pass out. I don't know what's wrong with me. And she was like, oh, it's because you're laying on your back, like lay on your side. And so she like rolled me over to my side. It took like five minutes, but I was totally fine. But I almost like passed out right there on the ultrasound table, which I've never, I lay on my back all the time, which I know I'm not really supposed to, but like I've never experienced that. So that was like sad and scary. And then I knew like she probably was going to like take really cute 3D pictures of her face, but I almost passed out. So I didn't get to see that. So that didn't happen, but whatever so that was the ultrasound and then I had to go to the actual appointment part of it which like if anyone who is following along I had to go to this different office because they're the only place who had availability for me to get these ultrasounds last minute because they're worried about the baby's size um they made me wait two weeks in between so I've been like anxious and then I Mm -hmm. get there and first of all I was supposed to meet the doctor it wasn't the doctor it was some midwife which is fine but like the whole point of me meeting with the doctor was that she is like certified or trained to read ultrasounds. So this woman comes in and she like didn't even know I just came out of an ultrasound. <sighs> so I was like, um, what what did the ultrasound say? She's like, oh, well, I don't know. Let me see. Uh-huh. She's like, um, no one's here to read it. We don't have any doctors here that can are like trained to read it. But just from looking at it, um, it looks okay. Uh-huh. I'm like, are you sure? Because I was following along and it looks like like baby's still really small and blah, blah, blah. And basically in the end, I still didn't get any answers. It was like, yeah, yeah. the baby's still small. Yeah, she did get a little bit smaller, but it's not too small. She'll probably just have some weird proportions. Ha ha. Like, I have a big butt. I'm disproportionate too. Ha ha. Oh, no <gasps> way. No way. Did I'm she like, actually say that? Yes. I'm like, okay. That's not That's okay. That's not tasteful at all. Yeah, it was weird. I don't know. It was just a really uncomfortable. And then I was, like, trying to say, like, I really would like you to do, like, a membrane sweep. Like, I'm 39 mm-hmm. weeks tomorrow. She's like, I like to wait till 39 weeks. I'm like, okay, well, I'm 39 weeks tomorrow. Like, I won't be here like, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Can we please? She's like, I don't know if it'll work. I'm like, I don't care. Just, I would like you to do it. And then when she goes to do it and she starts explaining it to me and she realized, like, oh, you like, I didn't realize that you've been checked already. And I didn't realize that you have had a membrane sweep in the past. I didn't, like, basically she didn't look at my chart before she came yeah. in and talked to me. So it was just, like, a shit show. But That's got- really frustrating because you've been, like, waiting for this appointment. Right. Well, that's the thing. I've been, like, so anxious about it for the past two weeks. Yeah. And then I get sent there and they're like, oh. Like, it was just, like, it clearly was, like, just another, just another patient to them kind of thing. Like, yeah. I was coming and she's just talking to me like I'm an idiot. I just left there, like, pissed off. Like, I was, I went in yeah. a good mood because I was like, oh, I'm going to get this sweep. I know they don't, I thought one with Isla didn't work, but I was like, maybe this will, yeah. you know, trigger some labor. Maybe I'll be, like, I just was, like, in a good mood. And then I left there, like, so just angry and just, like, so hormonal. I came home and just, like, I've been emotional all night for, like, I say no reason. I mean, that was, like, a frustrating, but, like, that's a pretty big reason for, like, 
existing tonight. Like, I'm just over it. I'm like, happy anniversary. I made Phil go buy me sushi. (laughs) (laughs) Just been in my feelings tonight. But yeah, that's stressful. I'm mad at them for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just like my, I just like my office. Yeah. I just wish that I could have went there and whatever. All for that, just for them to be like, we actually don't have anybody here to read your ultrasound, so you came here for nothing type of thing. So are they going to get a doctor to read it and give you, like, real results? I looked on my my chart, and it basically said it was reviewed by a doctor, and and they said they would call me if anything crazy came out of it, and I didn't get a phone call, so. But, I don't know. Like, I mean, she's, like, measuring really small. The ultrasound tech kept saying her head is so low that she could not get, like, a decent reading on it, which is... Mm. Great, but you told me that two weeks ago. So why did you make me come back? <laughs> do you think it's got, right. do you think or she was going to was... come up? Like she's probably not going to yeah. go. I don't know. But do you have another appointment with just like your regular midwives? I do on, on my due date next week, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and so I'm hoping I just don't even make it to that. But but anyways, saga continues. Hopefully, I'm like I just want her out so I can like know that she's healthy, right? And, like know that she's you know proportionate at least, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So we invited Kristen to come on because we talk so much about mental health on this podcast as if we are trained professionals. <laughs> and in fact, we are not actually. No. Like, I have a lot of student loans, but it's not for that reason. So we <laughs> Mine's for creative her. writing. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a lot of student loans for this reason. Yeah, right? <laughs> See, you earned those student loans. Um, so we have Chris on to talk about mental health. We're going to ask her lots of questions about supporting um, people that we love with mental health. And just really, we have a, quite a variety of questions. So we're going to try to get through them all. Um, but before we get started, do you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself and like your practice, what you you normally do kind of at your practice. I know that you are a licensed social worker, but also um, working with alcohol and drug counseling too. So I am a licensed clinical social worker um, and I'm certified alcohol and drug counselor. My specialty is in co-occurring. So that is where mental health and substance use collide. Um, I work with all ages, but I tend to really stick to 18, like early 30s. That's where my niche is, but I do work with people of all ages. Um, I've done a lot of my work and still do work in what we call community mental health, um, which is we usually see a lot of severe and persistent mental illness, it's people who struggle with their socioeconomic status, a lot of very, very low poverty, things like that. Um, I'm a mom. I have a son who's three and a half who has autism. And so we are um, having a fun time raising him and he is the light of my life. He is also the bane of my existence at the same time. Um, <laughs> I, have a human, I have a human jungle gym most days, um, but he makes me smile every day and surprises us every day. Yeah, I, starting at the pandemic, I decided um, I got on TikTok like every other human. Mm-hmm. Yep, same here. Started making mental health content to kind of try to destigmatize mental health and talking about it and also kind of taking this mystical version, this mystical idea of like what therapy is and how scary it is. I'm trying to normalize therapy and therapists because I think that a lot of people put us on pedestals that we are these like self-care gurus have our shit together. And I'm like, I'm just as a hotness as like any other. I know I should have, I know the things that I should do. Like I know that I should not drink a large Dunkin' Donuts coffee every day, but guess what I do every day? Drink a large Dunkin' Donuts coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Really just normalizing like um, how to talk about your, how to ask your parents for therapy, um, how to work, how to start working on yourself if therapy is not accessible. So yeah, and then I kind of fell over to Instagram and here we are. Awesome. That's very cool. Thank you for think, doing that. I think it's important work. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I think about that all the time when I'm in my own therapy session. Like, I don't, I would never be able to be a therapist because, like, it's like you have all the answers, but I know that I would not be able to actually, what's the word? Like, execute everything that you still need to do because you're still a human being. So I'm like, I'm glad that I don't have all the answers sometimes. I always think about how, like, most therapists have their own therapist too and how, like, interesting that is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was Sarah because she puts up with me. Um, we joke all the time that like I bet my therapist has a ther- has a therapist, so like I bet you I have a grand therapist and like a great grand therapist <laughs> and like a great grand therapist. 
like just a cycle of them. But I think that that's important. Therapists go to therapy. Like again, we have we have shit that happens in our lives too. There's lots of reasons people come come to therapy. But if you ask most therapists, it's not because they had a most the most amazing upbringing and like there's usually some some form of like trauma. Whether you had something traumatic happen in your childhood or you lost someone or or things like that. Like there's usually reasons as to why we kind of get into this field. Um, and I think and I think that allows us to have that empathy and that kind of relational piece. Not all therapists have that, but um like I can speak for myself and I mean my I got in this field because I had a friend in high school commit suicide. So it it kind of was a driving force for me to want to help other people. So yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think that's a good segue into some of our first questions talking about like where is a good starting point for someone to get help, help, especially if they have never been to therapy before. So I think the first step is acknowledging, like for a lot of us, like it's, it's acknowledging and accepting that we need help. I think we spend a lot of our time trying to pretend that we don't and pretend like nothing's going on if that we're feeling like we're putting a face on and saying, oh yeah, I'm actually happy when inside we're falling apart, especially moms. We have to keep it together for our kids and needing to acknowledge that is the first step. The next step would be if you check with your insurance, if you have insurance, what does your insurance cover? We, we always joke that the therapists on Instagram and TikTok are keeping Psychology Today open because psychologytoday.com is a wonderful resource. Um, because you can go to their website. They literally have a tool called Find a Therapist. And it sounds so cheesy, but you can literally go in and we love this tool because you can put in your zip code, you can put in your insurance, you can put in the things that you want and it curates a list for you with pictures, with bios. You go through and read them. The starting point and call them just a couple. I know here in Maine, there's lots of agencies who have things like interns. Uh, either free or low cost if you don't have insurance or you or you have a deductible that's really, really high. So that's usually a good starting point is talking with your doctor, um, looking at what your options are as far as your insurance. But I think the biggest thing is acknowledging. Yeah, I feel like I resonate with that so much. Like my whole life, it's always been like, just put on a front that everything's okay. Everything's perfect. Everything's fine. I'm fine on the inside. And then really on the inside, you're just like crumbling and like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Mm -hmm. I mentioned before on the podcast too that I have always felt like I could benefit from therapy but it took something big to happen to me to feel like I was finally what's the word uh like worthy of therapy like I yeah. I needed to like go through infertility be like finally I can have something to talk about when in reality like I'm learning now in my current therapy that there's a shit ton of stuff I still could have talked about before that um but I didn't feel like there was a big enough like catastrophe um so I think that's important too, of acknowledging that you need help, even if there isn't like this giant piece of what you might think of as trauma, um, mm -hmm. you could still need help regardless. Well, and you don't need to be mentally ill to go to therapy. Like you can go to therapy because you want to work on communicating. You, you can go to therapy because maybe you're going through a life transition that's a little bit tricky. Maybe you want to go to therapy because you have a trauma that you want to work through. Um, there's so many reasons why you can't, why, why you are worthy of going to therapy. That doesn't have to be like one of the things we talk about a lot is you don't have to hit rock bottom. And the problem is, is we just, we live in a society that tells you, you have to hit rock bottom mm -hmm. right? before you can seek help. You have to be, because it's, because our healthcare is so expensive. Like I got to make it worth paying So I'm, And that's, and that's a whole other, that's a whole other topic to dissect, but, um, but it's, it's hard. I think. It, it makes sense that you need to be the person, right, to acknowledge this. But what if it's somebody that you love and someone that you are close to and you're seeing them struggle with mental health? Like, what are some signs that we could look for or what can you do or say or to try to help that person? Like, for example, I mean, this is a motherhood podcast. Maybe um, if someone's dealing with postpartum depression or something along those lines, like what can their partner do for them if they're not the ones who are acknowledging it or ready to acknowledge it yet um they don't seem like themselves and it's more than just like a day or two um it's been like it's been a consistent you really just don't seem like yourself it's talking to them i think a lot of times partners scared to bring up changes that they see because they're scared of upsetting their partner um but one of um Brene brown talks about these sliding glass door moments right a mom who just had a baby is standing at her bathroom sink and her hands sit on the counter and she just takes this long sigh but her husband's standing in there shaving his beard and he, and he hears it well he has an opportunity right there 
to step into with her or or them, whatever your relationship dynamic is, and you can either step in or you let that glass door slide shut. And and it's being able to step into that. It's being able to support them. Sometimes a lot of our partners just need someone to listen. They don't need it. They don't need us to solve it. They need someone to just listen and validate that they're experiencing something. Not saying, well, it could be worse. Mm. Well, you have such a good life. Why are you sad? Mm. Um, like, what, and I see this a lot with postpartum anxiety. Like, no, the baby's safe. Like, it's fine. And instead of just saying, okay, like, I hear your worries. I hear your worries. I think when you're bringing, up, bringing it up to someone, you need to do it right time and place. Right? Bringing it up to your partner right, right when they woke up before they had their morning coffee probably not a great time <laughs> if the baby if the baby has been up colicky all night and, and your partner has not gotten sleep probably not a great time but pick a time where you guys are relaxed together and say hey i've noticed some changes and i, I want to be here for you can we talk about it the biggest thing, prepare yourself for pushback your partner may not may get upset they may get defensive and you as the partner who's addressing this needs to be able to know when to step back and circle back around because what will happen is, is, is if you push too much, they're going to shut down and it's going to end up in an argument versus um, needing to take needing to take space and just coming and circling right back around. But again, hold, what we call holding space for your partner, like that is the biggest thing that you can do, trying not to solve it. Um, if you're a friend, I always say this, like, don't come over to someone's house and ask them what they can do with a brand new baby. If you see that there are dishes in the sink, just wash the dishes. Don't even, don't even ask. Just wash them. Um, come in, offer, like, say, can I hold the baby while you go take a shower? Like, don't ask for what someone needs as much. Like, obviously, like, if someone is really resistant, don't come and impede. Like, if they're like, no, really don't do that, say, okay, what? I want to help. I want to do something. Something just as simple as, hey, go take a shower. I will sit with the baby and feed the baby a bottle because that's that's what we need. That's what parents need the most. They need those other things. Like, don't get me wrong. It's great to come over and cuddle a baby for an hour, but it's the dishes. It's the making a meal. It's the I haven't showered in five days. But it's I think holding spaces is the most important, I think, with, with um, parents of both. I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's I think we are always, and I mean, I'm guilty of it too, always just wanting to help and always wanting to like help fix the situation to make someone feel better. That's not always the most helpful. Uh, my husband and I have kind of, like we were just sort of talking about like what are things that we have like done for each other, not physically done for each other, but opened up your mind to or whatever. And he was talking about how I make him understand emotions a little bit better and I was like, yeah, I really saw that because I do think I was, am dealing with some postpartum anxiety and it wasn't like a, what can I do to fix it? It was just a conversation. And I feel like before that might not have been that way. So I feel like the, the talking is really, really important. Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes, again, like it's, it's, you'll need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, um, that that you can't solve everything and sometimes you just gotta sit in it. Because I I didn't admit that I was struggling with postpartum depression until my midwife called me out. She's like, Oh, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm great, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, You're such a liar. And 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 really just like and I think as moms and and sometimes parents, like we sometimes we don't acknowledge that we are struggling because we can't just stop. We we keep we keep going even and that's where where moms get in trouble or parents get in trouble um, and they don't acknowledge it. And then again, they snap hardcore into rock bottom and they start and things like suicidal thoughts, intrusive thoughts, things like that. They start to escalate and then we feel even more shame and guilt around it. Are there small things that we can do in our day-to-day -day routines to help with our mental health? Mm -hmm. I, I know with kids, sometimes it's hard, but it's sleep. Sleep is a big component, making that a priority. Um, I am I am guilty as charged at scrolling TikTok for hours before bed and suddenly it's two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> but trying to limit your screen time, making sure you're eating, you're drinking water, making sure you're eating throughout your day, make sure making sure your basic self-care needs are taken care of, brushing your teeth, changing your outfit. When you wake up in the morning, 
and when you go to bed at night, that you are not in the same outfit all day. I always joke and I say, I don't care if you wake up in the morning and change from one pair of leggings to a different pair of leggings. <laughs> I don't care if they're just leggings, like the act of changing an outfit, the act of brushing your hair. And I know that that is a lot of work for some people, especially if you're struggling with your mental health. But those are the little things because suddenly when you realize that your hair has been up in a bun for three days and you take it out and it doesn't move, <laughs> it doesn't make you feel good. And we're all guilty of it. But it's definitely a big piece. I think the other piece is, is um, limiting your social media and who you follow. If you follow, if you have accounts that make you feel like crap, especially as a mom, like you're following accounts that show perfect motherhood, um, and it's, you're looking at it and you're catching yourself comparing, like, no, unfollow. Not worth it. Because if you can't dissect that this is just a snapshot of someone's life, then it's not going to be good for you. Yeah. I like that you brought that up because I just came across, I wish I remember who the quote was from, but I want to say her name is Rachel Cargill, Cargi? I don't know. But she had like tweeted that she was dissecting, like when she picks up her phone, she thinks about like, what, why did I just pick up my phone? What am I looking for? Am I going to find it when I'm scrolling through social media or not? And then um, there was like a whole conversation on Instagram about like just kind of like if that Instagram account or that looking at that person and you're comparing and it doesn't make you feel good, then, then that's just a sign that you should unfollow them. Yep, definitely. I feel like that kind of relates to another question that we had of like, what are some ways that we can validate for ourselves and hold space for ourselves in our busy lives? Yeah, I think it's, again, it's acknowledging that you're having an experience or a feeling, not just taking that and packing it away in a box and putting it away saying, oh, I'll check in with that later. And then you never actually do. It's allowing yourself to be human, to, to that, that we are flawed. That's just a nature of humans, not gaslighting yourself. Mm. So we talk, we hear a lot like people gaslight me, right? Well, we can self-gaslight. Oh, I'm just making this a big deal. It's not that big of a deal. Like rushing through your feelings is a form of gaslighting. Like it's not letting yourself fully experience something and trying to tell yourself, no, it's okay. Such a good point. We're so... We don't want to sit in discomfort because how many of us were ever taught how to actually feel feelings? Not many. <laughs> not me. <laughs> not I. <laughs> right? Not we weren't. We weren't told. We weren't taught that. And so when we get an emotion, especially these quote unquote bad emotions, we quickly want to work through them. We don't want to deal with them. We, we want to feel happy and joy. But the problem is, is you can't feel happy and joy without knowing what sadness is what losses. And I actually just did a video. I just recorded it. And it talked about like, even bad emotions are still good because even loss tells us that something mattered. Even if loss is painful, it tells us that something has mattered. Fear keeps us safe. So it keeps us alive. Even though it's uncomfortable, like we still need to experience that. If we didn't experience fear, we'd just be jumping off buildings for the fun of it with no safety precautions. Like, <laughs> So we have to remember that, like, at the end of the day, we are human. We are human. We're a Brene Brown. Again, Brene Brown talks about, she goes, we're human and we're wired for struggle because that's what human nature is. And we just need to, and we need to allow ourselves to be that way. That's so true. You talk about, like, how many of us were actually taught to feel that. And I think we bring this up all the time in the podcast. That it's just like a huge generational shift of learning to like validate your children's feelings and I find myself trying so hard to do that with my daughter um, and it's so hard to do because you're literally retraining your brain. I actually like I've been feeling like it's not bad about myself but I so I brought Eliza to Mandy's baby sprinkle alone and she was crying when we first got there and Isla came over to her to like she was trying to calm her down, actually, but, um, uh, but I, I said, oh, tell her she doesn't need to cry. She's fine. And then I was so mad at myself when I said that, because that's not how I talk to her ev on an everyday basis. Mm -hmm. But then, it, like, in front of people, and when I was feeling stressed and mm -hmm. like, oh my god, everybody's watching me, like, with this crying baby, that was my default. And I was like, I don't want that to be my default. And, I, and it goes back to like, I don't know, that's what people would tell me. Stop crying. You're good. Yeah. Right. right. Well, it's, it becomes second nature. It's what it's learned. It's how we were taught. Unlearning. I'm, I am raising a, I'm, at this moment, I'm raising a boy. Biologically, he's a boy. 
And the world tells him that he shouldn't cry. The world tells him that the only emotions that he should express are happiness and anger. Well, no, that's not how I'm raising him. We sit there and we do affirmations every night. We sit there and when he's when he's upset, I, I'll, I'll name the feeling and I validate him. And I still hold him accountable. So when my, when my three-year-old hits me, I acknowledge that he's frustrated, but I also say we don't hit. That's not how we express our frustration. And I tell him, this is how we express it. Because I don't want to shame, I don't, I want him to know how to express that, but also teaching him how to express that emotion properly. Um, because again, you can't, I mean, I mean, there's, as adults, you get being arrested, but you can't just go around when you get frustrated and slap people. If you do, you're going to end up in the back of a cop car. And again, you teach them how to properly, and when you know, when you learn how to work, when you learn how to feel emotions and work through them, you work through them better and quicker and they're not as uncomfortable. But because they're so foreign to us, they're so scary to us, it takes so much longer because we run away. Yeah, I feel like I avoid that. This just happened. I started back at therapy a couple weeks ago and like after my first therapy session, I just like cried so much. And it was like tears that I was supposed to cry like years ago that just like hadn't come out. It was like so built up for me, like avoiding all my bad, so-called bad emotions. And then it was like, now I'm like practicing and like processing all of those emotions. So it's like a lot all at once, but it, it like it's, you can't avoid it forever and it's not healthy. I think, like, do you have any advice? And I'm sorry, because I don't think this is a specific question that we gave you. <laughs> so for me, like trying so hard to do like kind of heal this generational trauma, I guess you could say it's it's so hard sometimes that sometimes the only thing I can do is just go back in the end and just apologize for my own reactions or or for what I did, which my daughter is not even two yet. So I don't even know how much she totally understands of that. But sometimes I feel like that's all I can do because I'm not being as proactive as I want to be in accepting some of those, you know, feelings. And that as parents, sometimes we can be crappy and we need to learn to apologize for that. That just because I'm the adult doesn't give me a free pass. Um, at the end of the day, we are the adults and we are the role models. And so what we teach our kids when we don't apologize is that someone can treat us a certain way and it's okay. And and that they never need to take accountability for it. And so as parents, when we say I'm sorry and a and a change of behavior is associated with that, right? We acknowledge something. So one of the things that I acknowledged from my own trauma was making love conditional. So I remember the first time it came out is when my son bit the inner piece of my thigh. And I swear I would never punk kick a child, but I thought I was going to punk kick my child across the backyard. <laughs> um, I didn't. Please don't call CPS. <laughs> But he bit my inner thigh and I thought I saw Jesus for a few <laughs> seconds. And I yelled, like just out in pain. He backed up because I ripped my thigh away from him. And I sat down because it hurt so bad. And he came over to me and I said, I don't want you right now. That hurt mama. Step back. I don't want you. And he was trying to give me love because he saw that I was hurt. And what I, and in that moment, I told him my love was conditional. So I said, so I, I had him sit next to me and I, I said, I'm sorry for yelling because I didn't mean to yell. I said, that wasn't okay that you bit mama. I love you. And I know that you, I know that you didn't understand what you did. And he has no idea what I'm saying, but I'm, I'm portraying the emotion. And I said, it wasn't okay that you bit me. It wasn't, it wasn't okay with that, but showing that I still love him despite that. And that my love is not conditional based on how he treats me. Now, it, again, doesn't mean that I don't hold him accountable. And I think that's important as parents. Um, when, we, when we have witnessed a pattern of parenting, um, we need to engage in our own healing process. We need to acknowledge our own parenting flaws. Um, we need to take accountability for our own actions because at the end of the day, we are the adults. I get a lot of crap on my platform from parents because when I hear they're the problem, um, I don't need to fix me. They need to fix them. And it's the parents saying this. I'm like, well, who's role modeling this for them? When when I'm the parent, I don't need, like, I'm not the one who needs to be told what to do. And I'm like, you are the, like, we at the end of the day are the role model. Um, 
one of the things in my office that I talk about is a dysregulated parent can't dysregulate a child. And so if you can't even control yourself, your child isn't going to be able to. And so really looking and doing your own healing um, to be able to be that better parent. And, and it's not saying that you can't be a good parent when you have dysregulation because I have dysregulated moments because we're human, right? We go back to that, that humanness. But it's, again, it's being able to be humble and, and again, apologize. Even though they, they may not quite understand the word, they understand the emotion attached to it. And I think that's important that as parents, we need to start doing more. Because I I look back in time and I, I don't think my parents ever really ever apologized to me. I don't think they've ever done it. And not because they did a lot that would cause them to, but it was more like, I'm the parent, you're the child. When, yes, that's a dynamic for sure, but it's, again, it's, we, we build on the knowledge of our relationships both based off the relationships with our parents. I think going off of that, and I've seen on your account that you speak about this, of like nurturing your inner child and kind of going back and trying to heal, heal that inner child. Do you have any tips on like trying to do that, but then also simultaneously raising your own children? Like how do you heal yourself and try to be, give your children the best at the same time. Yeah, it's, um, it's messy. My goal, my goal in my parenting is to give my child a childhood that he doesn't have to recover from. And I'm still, I'm, I'm still healing myself. And I think it's important again, it's, it's that you're doing your own treatment. You are taking accountability for your adult behaviors. Your child is not responsible for your adult behaviors. Um, but I think like when healing that inner child, it's engaging with what your kids are doing. Like allow yourself to be a kid. Allow yourself to jump on that trampoline. Allow yourself to make a mess on the kitchen table. Yes, does it suck to clean up later? But get your fingers messy in that paint. Was there something that you wanted to do as a kid that you never could because your parents didn't let you um, or your parents couldn't do it, right? I had this moment in the grocery store the other week. You know, there's the a cheap froze pops and plastic sheets you know, the ones that cut the side of your, they give you the joker smile in the summer. <laughs> and I remember, I remember I had a moment in the grocery store because they're starting to come out. And I was like, man, I never had those as much as a kid. Like my dad would never buy them. My mom would never buy them. All the other kids had them, but I couldn't. And, you know, like, I just wish I could have had them. And I stood there for a moment. I said, Kristen, you're a damn adult with your own grown woman money. Buy yourself these, <laughs> right? If you want to buy tricks cereal, like, because in that moment you were like, yes, I want to be five again. Like tricks are for kids. <laughs> buy that stuff, right? Take your kids to the aquarium. If you can, if you go, the children's museum is opening on tomorrow, Friday. Oh, the new the one. New yes. one. Yeah. 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 It's opening like this week or next week. Get down and play with them. Stop standing at adult level. You can heal that inner child while being a child with your child. That sounds so fun. That's great <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah, that really is. It sounds so much better than like the actual work of like healing your inner child. But like, yeah, just play with your kids. It is. I guess. How do you think that like we as a society that we talked about, you know, supporting like people that we love and supporting ourselves. But how do you think we could support our like community? How can we as a society or community start to better support the mental health of others and especially of women? I think like with women, I think I think it starts off. We could start off with just the fact that if a woman shows up with an emotion. It doesn't mean she's emotional or hysterical. Yes. <laughs> or that she's overreacting. Like, the minute I start to cry in any capacity, why are you being so emotional? You're overreacting. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I'm, I'm expressing an emotion. I think that's the, and I think that's anybody. I think it's, again, it's being able to sit in a feeling with someone without trying to solve it. We so quickly want to fix things so we can get out of the discomfort. Um, my job is entirely about sitting in discomfort with other people. Like it's, I'm so used to it at this point that if someone sits, like tells me an emotion, I'm like, okay, let's sit in this for a while. Let's go. Let's get comfy. And they're like, no, let's run in the opposite direction. <laughs> um, I think it's letting go of this perfect idea of what the perfect life should look like. And that every 
life is different and the this this idea of the soccer mom who has all of her like who has this perfect facade i mean again Brene brown talks about perfectionism about being a ten thousand pound shield to hide everything else behind it um we need to remember that like we're only shown what people want us to see would you say that like a good way to try to support the mental health of others is to try not to have that like shield to try to be a bit more vulnerable which is very hard to do (laughs) (laughs) yes and no yes the shield is needed when you're talking to the cashier at a grocery store right we're not gonna dump our trauma onto the 17 year old at the hannaford right (laughs) that's the one i'd want to dump it on they don't know me (laughs) (laughs) but like when your friend is coming over for for coffee and she's like hey how are you doing that's the moment where we can bring down that shield and be vulnerable and say you know what actually i really have been struggling you know what like i'm really struggling to connect with my baby you know what like i'm having some scary thoughts and i don't I don't want to act on them, but I don't want to be alone in this. I think it's important. Again, we, we need to know the people who we feel safe with, right? We know those people. Um, those are the people that you let down that shield with, right? You don't let it down with a 17-year-old because we're not going to get the support we need from that 17-year-old, even though that we'll never have to look at them again. We might traumatize them. But... <laughs> now they need the therapy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's the start. I think it's the start of, I think it's stop stigmatizing mental illness stop using things like bipolar when it's when you every time someone has a mood swing Mm. um because that's not what it is stop using ocd because you're just like a neat environment i've even been trying to say like avoid using the word crazy yeah because i feel like sometimes that's a word that can be stigmatized. Yep, it can be. Do you think that, like, as a whole, we're moving our way towards a world where the stigma around mental health is diminishing a little bit because we're having these conversations? Yeah, I think there's, yeah, I think that there, I do. And I I still think that there's a lot of work we need to be done. Um, I still think that there is a lot of stigma around it. I think I've said this in a couple podcasts that I've done, and us as the TikTok therapist, we've said it too, of like, Gen Z is going to change the world when it comes to some of these narratives, mm-hmm. um, um, when it comes to talking about stuff, like there's still this cat, like there's, there's a very big difference between the boomer generation and Gen Z, which there always is, right? There's always huge shifts in generations, but like where boomers and Gen Xers are still kind of like, Sarah, she goes to about that susan (laughs) we don't talk about we don't we don't air our dirty laundry we keep that in house yeah yeah we we keep that in our house we don't talk about it outside of these walls and then gen z and even myself i'm like you know what i told my therapist like there's a very large shift and um i think that more people are accessing health um therapy i don't know if any of you have tried to access therapy during the pandemic and how hard it has been, in, especially in the state of Maine. Um, wait lists are everywhere, especially for providers who take insurance. I was already established with my therapist before the pandemic, but it's still really hard to have like consistent appointments with her um, after all this. It's been insane just like how nobody has weightless anywhere you can't get a psychiatrist here it's so much and so many people and, and that's cool and there's pieces right it's a catch-22 it's great because people are accessing mental health care but there are not enough providers to sustain it which sucks and i know tiktok and instagram are not actually therapies no. but i do think like you and some other therapists out there who are doing the work to try to help people you know, with small things here and there definitely has made a huge difference. And like, you know, you're do you guys are all doing like what you can. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always, it's one of the things we talk about. It's not a replacement for therapy. We call it a cement. Put a bandaid on it for a second, <laughs> but it's something. And, and for some people, it definitely gives them like, for some people it's been t- talking points. I've had clients bring TikTok videos to me and they're like, I think I struggle with this. And it's been a talking point for them. 
Um, so many people have come to us and said, I've started therapy because of your videos. Um, your video helped me ask my parents. Um, your, your videos helped me be more honest with my therapist. It, your videos made me actually, I, we talked about this before, like acknowledge that I was actually experiencing something. What would you, be your best advice for somebody who is just starting or maybe restarting their journey into trying to get back into therapy or just into healing their mental health to begin with? Know that it takes time. You can't rush it. You, it's baby steps and it, and it looks different for everybody. I actually just did a post on this. Everybody's recovery journey looks so different and you need to be able to understand that sometimes you take three steps forward and five steps back. And that's the nature of recovery because when you think about it, you spent so much time putting stuff in boxes and you start shaking them up a little bit and it gets real messy. It's kind of like you dump them all out and now you got to organize them. It's, it's knowing that you don't have to do therapy in three months. It, it takes time. Um, one of the things I talk to with my clients, like if, if a 30 year old comes and sees me, I said, you have, you've had, and it's the first time, well, you have, you've had 30 years to learn these behaviors. You're not going to unlearn them in three weeks. I feel like something I've learned since like, when I first started therapy, my thought process was, all right, I'm going to go to therapy and I'm going to fix the problem. Then I'll be gone. But like, I feel like it's just an ongoing work in progress. Like, is there ever an end in sight? <laughs> Do you just <laughs> continue to work on it forever? I think it, I think there is. Um, I think it just depends. Um, some people come to therapy and they want to work on one thing and that's it. Um, some people come in and I'm at a place in my healing where I'm more like what we call the maintenance phase, where I'm talking about daily life. I'm still working on a couple things when they come up, but um, if I quit therapy now, it wouldn't be a detriment. Some people, they, they leave therapy and they come back a little while later because they just want some time without it. But I mean, therapy is all about the client. Obviously, there are always things that play into that insurance coverage. If your therapist stays in practice, all of that. But you could be in therapy for forever if you wanted to. My recommendation, and I know people, this is, this is my hot take when it comes to therapy, is that I think like every five years, you should switch therapists. And I know that that sucks, but I think like there gets to a point where that therapist that you're working with can only give you so much. They only have the same perspective. They only have the same set of skills. They might do a training here or there, but they are who they are. And sometimes getting someone different gives you a different perspective, um, gives you a different set of skills. And it sucks to start over, but sometimes I think that can be helpful in that journey. I've mentioned um, just from my personal experience because of the pandemic, um, I stopped seeing my, my therapist who I saw specialized in infertility. And then because of the pandemic, I couldn't, I mean, I do have insurance. I couldn't get into like a, like a licensed therapist, but I found an office who had interns. Um, and so I said, sure, I'll try that out. And I actually like, not that I disliked my first therapist, but I love, I love working with an intern because she's so interested and trying all these different things and having all these different conversations. And she's in the middle of these classes. And so she's bringing up things she's learning. And I feel like it's brought like a whole different side of therapy. Like a, it's been very helpful. So I think that's a good point of like, I mean, it's therapy, but it was two different people. I'm getting two very different things out of it that I, and both helpful for sure. But yeah, well, and I think it's important to acknowledge that sometimes we outgrow our therapists, right? So maybe, Maybe you start seeing a therapist for infertility and that's their specialty. Well, in three, four, five years, is that still a specialist that you need? For some people, yes, very much so. But is that still the specialty that you need? Or do you need someone whose specialty is different? And again, it sucks. It 100% sucks. But it's kind of like, like a doctor. We see a pediatrician as a child. Why do we not see pediatricians when we're 50? because they know they're not educated in our age range. And so it's the same, why do, um, why do women go to women-centered doctors? Because our health is different than a male's and vice versa. We look for that. And so I think that's the same as therapists. I think the difference with therapists is, again, that relationship that you build, that makes it so different. I went to a therapist like the first time I went to therapy and I was in my early 20s and then now I'm back in my early 30s and I think that 
I really think it's the actual therapist herself that I realized that I can be honest now, and I wasn't very honest before. And it could have been me, too, just being in a different phase in my life and not wanting to be honest and, like, do the work. But I think I love that idea of changing because you change. So that was helpful for me. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to like also acknowledge that you might have to try a couple different therapists before you really connect and, and find someone that's going to, which is hard because there's wait lists everywhere and not everyone's available. And it is very discouraging to like have a therapist and, you know, not connect or feel like it's going to work well. But I feel like I know people who try say, oh, I tried therapy. It just didn't really work for me. But you know, it just might have not been the right therapist for them. I have I have a friend who I helped find a therapist for. She contacted me and was like, oh, I'm looking. And so we looked for some people. She tried the first one. She came back to me after the first session. She said, I don't know. Told me her complaints. I said, try it again. Try it again. If you really don't like it, she went to the session. She called me after and was like, no. And I, this makes me want to not do it again. Because, I, it, again, it's a bad taste. And I said, why don't we sit down and we look for a couple more? And we did. And she tried someone new. And she was like, she, I had texted her the other week. And I said, so how is that therapist going? And she goes, it is amazing. Like, it's hard because, again, like, it's, it's sometimes it's rehashing that story over and over. And it sucks. But when you find someone that you connect with, it is a game changer. Like... I, I talk about this in my live. I went to see the first time I tried therapy after I went to see a therapist when I was super young when my parents divorced. And the first therapist that I went to, I sat in with him and 45 minutes in, we're doing the assessment. And he's like, okay, do you want to schedule your next session? And I literally go, nope, nope. I want someone new. Can we, can we try someone else? And I was like, I was like 18, 19. And I think people forget like they can say that. Like, you can fire your therapist. Do you, as a therapist, get offended by that? I'm curious. No. I'd rather my clients tell me that I'm not working out for them so I can sit and help them find someone than ghost me. If they ghost me, it's fine. Like, I just think you're dead in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> oh, like, that yeah. means, like, I get worried. <laughs> Try not to ghost your therapist, listeners. Um, we really do care. I am guilty of that. I apologize. <laughs> we do. We really do care. But I would rather my clients tell me that they don't like working with me and talk about why they don't like working with me. I I take feedback. Like If your therapist gets mad at you for giving them feedback, that is more reason why you need to go find another therapist. Like, they'll talk. But I would rather them tell me so that I can sit with them and find someone else um, and provide them that support. And again, saying it's one of those things like, For a lot of my clients, they were never given a space growing up to say their truths. They were never allowed to speak up. They were told to stay quiet, stay silent, stay unheard. And what they wanted didn't matter. And that's why we get ghosted a lot um, because people don't realize you can speak up to us and we're not going to scream at you. You can speak up to us and we're not going to shame you. And again, if your therapist yells at you or screams at you, again, more reason to find someone else. Like, first of all, they shouldn't be doing that. If they're doing that, report them to the board. Um, <laughs> don't forget, like, you can fire us. It's okay. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, like, really excited about this episode. I feel like it was a really good conversation. I feel like we just touched on so much and so many important things and things that we talk about a lot and now... I feel validated. I was just going to say that. I feel so validated. <laughs> still, we're still not licensed therapists, please, but. It's a good golden episode. Yes, exactly. Like, I, you can actually believe our bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> now that we have an expert. I have cited my sources. <laughs> I got my bibliography right here. Um, but thank you so much, Kristen, for coming on, for talking with us. Thank you for having me. Super helpful, super informative. Seriously, thank you. And please, where can everyone find you on TikTok and Instagram and and anywhere? Yeah, you can find me. I'm mostly active on TikTok and Instagram. You can find me at Not Your Average Therapist, and therapist is spelled T H R P S T. Um, And you can find me there. That's for both TikTok and Instagram? Yes. Perfect. and I've been following your videos, and they're pretty funny. I'm not gonna lie. I was about to say sometimes, like not to be conceited, but I think I'm, I sometimes I crack myself up. I like go back and watch 
I go back and watch some of like my like class act videos, and I'm like, <laughs> I have to make a one with that one. <laughs> For everyone else, make sure that you rate, review, subscribe. Um, check us out on Instagram. And of course, all this information that we talked about today, I took lots of notes. We brought up um, a couple websites, a couple books, a couple people. Um, those will all be in the show notes, including Kristen's information. So we will talk to you guys next week. Or I don't know if I will. I freaking better not. That's all I'm saying. For the love of God. That's a nice to end on the golden episode. I like that. Yeah, I'm ready to end on the golden episode. I was hoping you were going to go into labor during this podcast. Me too. I was actually thinking that. Like, I was, like, watching your face at one point. That'd be great content. Yeah. I had one Braxton Hicks, in case you're wondering (laughs) about it. Um, Alrighty. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.